Okay, hey everybody, welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast. You're here with your old pal, Jamesy. And your older pal, Brando. Brandy. Brandy. Okay. So, hey, we are in, by the way, round two of Pandemic Madness 2020. No, it's Pandemic Madness. 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 Pandemic Madness 2020. Pandemic Madness. Pandemic Madness 2020? I say there. Pandemic Madness, you say? Madness Pandemic 2020, you say? Stella! It's Pandemic Madness 2020. Pandemic Madness 2020, fool! I pity the fool that don't listen to Pandemic Madness 2020. You're tearing me apart with Pandemic Madness 2020. Lots of great matches coming up in uh, in this week. By the way, the voting ends tonight, people. So get out there and vote. Get to uh, greatdivepodcast.com, Pandemic Madness 2020 page. Get in there and vote for round two. There are some heated battles. Every one of these matches has, has got a challenge going. There's a couple of blowouts, but there's uh, everybody's got votes once again. So, I mean, these are good, exciting matchups. We will be announcing the winners Monday night on our Facebook Live. Make sure to join us there for all the fun, the comments. Uh, start talking to us about who you want to see make it through the Sweet 16. I think we should play a little game here, Jamesy. I think to add a little juvenile antics to our rather mature and sophisticated broadcast. Every time one of your bracket choices, one of your guys loses, you have to drink. You have to Ooh. do a shot. We could do that. Well, I admittedly got knocked out of one of my big players right in round one, and uh, I'm kind of bitter about it. I'm a little bitter, admittedly, but uh, my winner, I think my winner is going to take it. I, uh, I think I've got a pretty strong pick for, for my final. I know. I think I know who you have, and I think I know who I have. And you know what? I think the two guys that we have, they're different, and they are going to be the two going mano a mano for the championship of Pandemic Madness 2020. Pandemic Madness. Sunday, 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 Sunday. It's madness. Pandemic madness will run wild on you. <laughs> it's pandemic madness 2020, brother. Get out there and vote. You you do a pretty damn good Hulk Hogan. And I can tell that you've been in front of the mirror. Me from uh, from the ages uh, 9 to 14, uh, I think that's all I did. Hulk Hogan. Who'd have thunk it? While I was, I was doing my impersonations of Albert Buhlman. <laughs> I say that. Decompression is not an exact science. <laughs> oh, he's a uh, Bielman Swiss. You got to get a Swiss accent going. Oh, well, you just lost me there. <laughs> I've been doing my impersonation of Albert Bielman as a British guy. I say there, chaps, decompression, it's not an exact science. And anyone who says otherwise is a fool. And I pity the fool. 
So I kind of would mix a little Mr. T with Albert Buhlman as a British guy. Uh, but that's where I was. Yeah. 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 It's Swiss. Yeah. This is, uh, yeah. Here, here's your Buhlman. Yeah. This is Pandemic Madness 2020. <laughs> Nailed it. Don't get, don't get the decompression <laughs> during Pandemic Madness 2020. All right, let's do some work, damn it. You didn't think what we just did was work? That was work, Matt. The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. Gotta, we got to talk about If Only. So actually, it just aired Wednesday. But, right. but for the listeners, they can go over to Gareth Locke's uh, Human Diver. Um, and they can, they can view it. It's on Vimeo, and it's, it's there for you to watch, and I highly recommend it. It's uh, very impactful. And please do that. And, yeah, so we shared... A link to the show on our Facebook, but by all means, we ask you guys to go there and watch that, and please start up a little discussion with us. This could be uh, fun taking a look at this very tragic incident. But what what I really like is the the way it's presented this time, and not just a he did this wrong. Yeah. Should have should have done this. Why did he do this? You know, t- taking the, that long, detailed look at the events leading up to it, right? At at the the divers, not just the day he did he had the accident, the week, the months ahead of time, the training that he was involved with, his personal life, the you know. His career is in the Navy. Kind of give that gives a little bit background of his his character. Uh, you know, a military mindset is definitely a, a bit different than the civilian mindset when we undertake you know different endeavors. Sir, yes, sir. Well, yeah, to a certain extent, but it's basically mission oriented, which is trained into you. And I don't know, you know, I know many civilians will say I'm mission oriented too, but. Until you're living that life, I don't know. Uh, I know it changed me, but you know, some some for the better. Maybe some would say some for the worse. But anyway, it gives a background of him and the events in his life going on that maybe had a great effect in his thought processes 
and his uh, behavior that day that the accident happened. So there was a lot more going on other than just the, if you just looked at the accident and saw, oh, he forgot to do this, and that's why he he died on a scuba dive. There's way more to an, to accident analysis than the surface mistake. We have to change behavior. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that that's where, uh, please, I, I don't want to go, I don't want to give too much away. I, let's uh, let's get you guys out there to watch this if you haven't. We'll talk about it some more in the future. But good stuff. And uh, get out there and give Gareth's If Only documentary a go. Don't say, if only I had listened to Gareth's If Only. If only I, I had watched Gareth's If Only. Don't say that. Don't get there. If only I had listened to the Great Dive podcast <laughs> recommendation and only watched If Only. Things would be different. If only I had listened to Pandemic Madness 2020. If only I had stopped telling jokes and actually got <laughs> to this episode, we might be done by now. I know. I'm looking at our recording time, knowing that I have to edit, going, we are not even at the beginning of our our weekly podcast episode, the recording portion, and already we've recorded a full podcast episode. <laughs> in time. Exactly, yes. in time. Exactly. In time. This is what the people don't realize. Is This is why they go... Why don't you guys just do a live show oh, every week? Nobody wants that. Uh, well, that's because it's taken us an hour to get to the introduction of our show. Are you mad? Are you mad? Do you have pandemic madness? Okay, everybody. Hey, welcome back to The Real Show. Let's uh, get to this week's episode, which is the Incident Reports Part 2. Remember, this was by Michael Menduno uh, from the In-Depth blog, which was re-examining the old early technical diving deaths the, from the AquaCore Incident Reports, 1992 to 1996. And an interesting fact, Michael Menduno went out in round one of Pandemic Madness, which uh, saddened me. I, 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 um, that was, a, I think, a bracket breaker for me. Yeah, I had Michael picked as well, so... I, I thought uh, with all one. his uh, name and rep going on in the world, you know, right now, he was surefire win. But, oh, Kathy Church, she rallied the troops up, and, and her fans got in there and voted and, and knocked him out. Just goes to show you. It's anybody's game. It is anybody's game because it's madness. I mean, you thought Falco was going to go all the way. Well, I thought Falco was going to go up there. I didn't have him picked for the win. Uh, but I did have him, you know... Again, I can't even talk about it. I'm pretty devastated. I I had our listeners and viewers pegged up a little higher than maybe I should. They went down a notch in my book. That puts them at minus one. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, let's talk about something that can cheer you up a little bit. Oh, I'm all right. But yeah, definitely. Uh, diving accidents? Is that going to cheer me up? A very experienced deep wreck diver. Knowingly. <laughs> Dived beyond the NOAA oxygen limits while conducting Crazy. an enriched air dive on the Arundo off of New Jersey. You know when uh, NOAA says, these are the limits that we want you to have diving underwater. And you go, fuck that. Pishaw. Pishaw to your limits. I see your limits and raise you to limits. Limits? I don't need no stinking <laughs> limits. Limits are for the peasants. The peasantry, if you will. Now, this isn't 
that all that terribly deep of a shipwreck, 135 feet. But when you uh, take a bottle of nitrox 40% down to 135 feet, you know, over five addas, you're, you've broken a 2.0, right? Yeah, you're, you're right there at that edge. And you do have to remember, I mean, the the time frame in which this was, was going, the limits weren't as hard fast as they kind of are now. I mean, back back when I uh, first learned nitrox, I mean, we were, we were talking 2.0 was the limit kind of thing. And then they readjusted it to 1.6 and, the, and then down to 1.4 for regular diving, 1.6 for deco kind of thing. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like it is today. I think should, we should just probably throw that in there that it's just uh they they were a little wishy-washy. Right. The um pushing the 1.6. I don't want to say it was normal, but it was widely done. And even pushing like on deco pushing upwards of a 2.0 was was done in still in those early 90s it was a little bit of a you know figuring things out right am i am i shaking because i'm cold am i shaking because i'm excited <laughs> or am i shaking because i'm toxic out I'm just about to tax still, baby there's they're still there's still you know checking those boxes mm-hmm. off for for so to say but they mention in here that this mix had a maximum operating depth of 87 feet for a, right? for a 1.4 you know, yeah. yeah in that 1.4 range right however the deck of the wreck is at 110 with a maximum depth of 132 resulting in a ppo2 in that 17 to 2.0 adders range which is well above the cns toxicity threshold right right I mean, that's the threshold we put at now, but NOAA was at the forefront. You know, this is Dick Redkowski's old. He was running the NOAA Nitrox stuff back then. So he, the founding father of Nitrox for the recreational diving community, including, you know, technical. He's essentially the Ben Franklin of Nitrox. Yes, he he was out on his boat with a kite. And uh, he was breathing nitrox. Discovered, he got discovered struck PPO. by lightning. <laughs> discovered PPO2? Exactly. It's bad to have a high PPO2 when you're getting struck by lightning yes. flying a kite. Anyway, they, NOAA had their limits, and the U.S. Navy had exceptional exposure limits. You know, a lot of divers said, I'm cool with the U.S. Navy limits. Right. Now, he mentions in here that the diver had told others in the past that he didn't follow the NOAA guidelines. Fuck those he guidelines. Believed, <laughs> he believed they were too conservative. I think... Um, You're a little pansy <laughs> with your NOAA guidelines. It's like the uh, you know famous last words, are, are you daring me? In this guy's case, it was, guidelines are for assholes. You know, Guidelines are like tits on a guy. Useless. <laughs> <laughs> guidelines are like tits on a bull. <laughs> guidelines are as useful as a screen door in a submarine. The guidelines are like the split fins of the rural world. They're ridiculous. An individual who knew the diver well believed that he was probably diving the U.S. Navy's exceptional exposure limits for oxygen, which are generally not considered conservative enough. Guidelines are like snorkels. <laughs> Guidelines are like snorkels in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so 
like early on the uh you know the british did that study you know in that world war ii era with kenneth donald coming in and trying to figure out that line between that tox no tox place you know for those navy divers that were basically die that were dying on those o2 rebreathers right. during world war ii trying to do some of that warfare diving right everybody to refresh their memories the rebreathers are o2 rebreathers that's all they're using is oxygen so you are breathing 100 percent oxygen and just recirculating it right um and having the co2 scrubbed out there's no buffer inert gas in there at all so these guys could only, I mean, by our standards today, they should have stayed at 20 foot. That should have been their max, but they were going a little bit deeper and having a, a lot of incidents, yeah. Right, right. And I, I, like in that, you know, he summarized basically that oxygen beyond two and a half addas was like highly unpredictable. And so that's where those standards moved back, you know, to, you know, 2.0 and then to 1.6 to 1.4. And now, you know, we're realizing why even stress it at all. Let's keep that working average at around a 1.2 so that you don't have that anxiety and fear of what may or may not happen to you on any given day. Right. Knowing that the benefit, you know, what's the benefit of a high PO2? You know, when you use nitrox, you're you're lowering your inert gas intake by raising up your your oxygen intake. Well, you know, risk of bends versus risk of toxing. What would you rather if you've got to choose? Well, uh, the likelihood of coming back from the tox is is nowhere near as likely as coming back from a bends hit. Yeah, no doubt about right. it. Right. So we got a you know a risk benefit analysis right there would tell us, hey, I'm not going to push my O2. Out. Which is why nowadays, you know, it, it's standard to use different working PPO2s on the dive on that that bottom working swimming mm-hmm. zone versus the hanging off and, and decompressing zone. Agreed. Yes. Yeah. So he says in this that in one case, the diver recommended that another follow his example of breathing at that 2.0. He said, after all, diving air at 250 feet, PPO2 of 1.8 was no problem for a lot of people. The problem that Menduno illustrates here, he says, is that the CNS toxicity is a function of both partial pressure of oxygen time and other factors, many of which are not well understood. His body was found approximately 45 to 50 minutes into the dive with a regulator out of his mouth and 1,500 PSI in his doubles. Maximum depth on his computer was 132 feet. So, I mean, that's just classic signs of yeah. going into that O2 seizure, losing the rag and, and drowning. And like Michael wrote here, like you mentioned in this article, there's a lot of factors that contribute to this O2 tox hit, namely the CO2 buildup, right. right? Breathing air that deep, it gets thick. And your ability to exchange, you know, get the CO2 out of your blood and exhausted out your second stage... That's impeded a lot because of thick, thick gas. Yeah, and, and you're looking at it with nothing like extreme depth, 135 no. feet. But, I mean, there's a lot of the community today who would consider that to be uh, a definite dive where you would bring in helium for, for that very reason, right? I mean, it's an open ocean shipwreck dive, colder water. you got a lot of factors that are going to contribute to CO2 production. If you got a current... 
you got a current on there, it's really nice to have helium. It makes the gas go in and out. If you're working a wee bit, the helium-enriched gas versus just your plain old nitrox or air, just nitrogen and oxygen, helium-enriched gas is thin and it moves easy and your gas exchange is a lot more efficient. Right. And so on any given day, and obviously it sounds like he uh, he was a regular at diving that 2.0 PPO2. Yeah. There's so many of those variables in there that one day it's good and you get by with it. Uh, another day, you know, you just, you're blinking a lot underwater, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. and then, uh, unfortunately in, on this dive, it, uh, it got the best of them. Yeah. It works until it doesn't, uh, when you, when you're pushing the limits like this, you know, looking at an analysis of this, is this where he went wrong? Choosing the wrong gas? Well, in his behavior... What mindset does he have that promotes his thinking of, I'll push the limit? Where does that come from? What is his mindset? Why does he make this choice? Because we're looking at it in hindsight, and we can sit here and go, well, it's easy. He chose the wrong gas. He chose a gas not suited for that depth, one that would give an unacceptable exposure to high PPO2s. Well, that's easy to say, but why? Why did he do that is the question. Yeah, I get you, right? Um, it, it's easy for us to sit here and now looking back and go, oh, obviously he's breathing a 2.0. Of course he's an idiot. But yeah, like for him, he'd been doing it a while and getting by with it, right? Which which left him that feeling of, eh, these no limits. I know I know better than it because I've lived it without without a problem yet. You just hit that one thing that I find a lot is – you know, as an instructor teaching experienced divers new ways of thinking or new approaches or a different approach to diving that maybe goes against what they've always thought. And the reason they believe it's okay to use a 2.0 because they did it and they lived. And now the new bars has been established. This is the new limit, 2.0. I've done it. I've done it once. They go and do it again. After a year of doing it, yeah, maybe nothing happens. But that's so solidified in their behavior, their, their mindset, that you come up and go, listen, the guidelines established are there for a reason. We like to dive at a, a bottom PPO2 of, you know, especially in a current, especially where we're working, especially if it's a little deeper of 1.2 PPO2, and he'd, he'd go, that's crazy. That's crazy. I, I regularly do 2.0, and look, I'm alive. Right, and then, you know, they're, they're looking at a difference of by, by changing that PPO2, you know, their no decompression limit on their computer is going to move, right? <laughs> you know, three, three to seven minutes in difference, right? because they're, not, they're looking at it from a different perspective. Right, you've saved, you've saved a few minutes. Sure, I've got to pull a little extra deco maybe, but, you know, at the end of the day, a few extra minutes hanging in the water, and it actually, I I come out cleaner, I believe. Well, yeah, because cause you're... You're doing the extra time. There's a time for a higher PPO2, but, but, but it's not when you're down on the bottom working. Okay, let's move on to a Massachusetts dive on the Chester Poling which is uh, another shipwreck, relatively deep shipwreck outside of the recreational limits where we have two divers that descend onto what they're thinking is going to be this awesome, you know, near virgin wreck. And then, unfortunately, 
turns into a fatality. One of the one of the classics, especially from uh, those early days of what happens with with deep air and uh, and like what we just saw a minute ago with uh, this diver saying that, hey, uh, you know, two fifty is an acceptable dive on air. You're only running a one point eight. This dive. We're looking at an experienced 45-year-old wreck diver suddenly lost consciousness during a 170-foot air dive on the Chester Poling and drowned in the arms of his partner. The, uh, the exact cause of death is unknown. The team descended on the near-virgin wreck at 43 to 52 meters, 140 to 170 feet, for what had been planned to be a short first dive of the day, leaving their inflatable boat unattended but anchored into the wreck. Conditions were good and there was no current. About 10 to 15 minutes into the dive, the surviving partner called the dive and began to ascend at the bow at 140 feet to free their anchor. So this is, again, a dive, I mean, I still hear about of people Two buddies taking their boat out, anchoring up, going down, and one just hoping that the boat's still going to be there when they come up from a dive. <laughs> yeah. Even with, you've got the anchor right there with you. You can see it the whole time there in the dive, you know, whatever you're doing. You tie it off onto the shipwreck even. But the line can break up top. Uh, and, and your line still kind of floats high. It looks like it's still going up there, but here you have no boat. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, there, there, there's no way I would be comfortable underwater. Like, I would always have that nagging at me the whole entire time. I, I, I wouldn't be able to enjoy myself. I've been there and done it. I'd come up to where, where'd the boat go? Something's amiss. <laughs> there, there it is, floating off. And this was a night dive in the Great Lakes, looking off in the distance. Oh, <laughs> right, right. Start the, the big swim here. Uh, floating around in the middle of the Great Lakes, uh, trying to get to your boat. <laughs> what's what's closer? What was shore. closer, the boat or shore? Well, I think going to shore would have you'd had to call the Coast Guard. Hey, there's just a boat floating out there. Just beware. Well, yeah. The good, th- <laughs> the bonus of going to shore is the shore doesn't keep drifting further and further right. away. Right. Yeah. This my my early days as a charter where I I did trust blindly the wisdom of the captain who had been doing this stuff for, for years. You know, this is part of the, the stuff that has shaped the way I think now. And this is why I, I really appreciate what Gareth has to offer in, in the way that you think, the way that you approach diving. And even, you know, something like, what do we do with the boat? Does everybody jump in the water? So Yeah, having, having somebody topside is a very important part of that dive team, right? I was going to say that's a critical dive team member right there. When you don't have that, it's like not having a goalie, right? Yeah, right, right. I mean, I remember some guys, you know, that were diving out in the Great Lakes. And, you know, they they did it because they knew they would get in trouble if they didn't have somebody on the boat while they went diving. So they had the guy's teenage daughter on the boat, you know, just to, you know, be there in case the Coast Guard came by. Well... They had that very thing. The The boat came off right. the mooring, and she's got no idea how to drive the boat. Like, no idea how to start it, no idea how to get You don't just need somebody. You need a qualified team member. It's the, it's the goalkeeper right, on your team. Right, right, exactly. Do you throw in anybody? I guess 
anybody is better than nobody, but ideally you have a trained goalkeeper. Yeah, right. I know. I It's easy to look back in hindsight. And when you're out there and you're like, hey, we've got somebody, we're cool. Or, hey, we'll just, we'll tie off on the wreck. We'll take it the line and tie off. What can go wrong? Look at what what happens if you have an accident down there. Yeah. Things, yeah, things go wrong. It happens. The diver drifted back down to the bottom briefly for one more sweep of the area. When he returned to the ascent line, he didn't look right to his partner, who signaled, are you okay? The diver signaled, no, not okay, but didn't indicate what was wrong. His partner grabbed him by the harness to maintain contact during their ascent. As they ascended, the diver began moving his arms and legs, and then his legs went limp at about 90 feet. At 80 feet, 24 meters, his regulator fell out of his mouth, and the diver lost consciousness. The surviving partner was freaked and tried to resuscitate the diver without success. At 5 meters, 15 feet, the surviving diver, or I should say uh, the surviving partner, elected to complete a portion of his decompression before surfacing, removing the diver's weight belt, inflated his BC, and pushed him to the surface. There was no surface support person or anyone on their boat, so just sent him up. You go wait up there. I got. I have some deco to do. We don't need two dead divers. Right, my computer's flashing. Yes, my computer told me I have to do. That. You're not even. You're not even looking at your computer. <laughs> this is a, a little demented. There, we're joking, but it is terrible. It is terrible. Please don't judge us for. Don't judge. The surviving partner completed about five minutes of air decompression, surfaced, and went on oxygen. A nearby sailboat had picked up the drowned diver and had radioed the Coast Guard station, which was only a few minutes away. CPR was applied to no avail. There were no life signs. The diver was evacuated to the hospital and pronounced dead. The autopsy stated the cause of death was obviously drowning. It is highly unlikely that the event was an oxygen convulsion at a PPO2 of 1.26 at a low-moderate work level. The diver had no previous history of cardiac problems and was reportedly in great shape. See, this is a, one of those mysterious diver deaths. They did not list it as cardiac arrest, which we get quite often. They didn't say if they examined him for a PFO or anything like that. I don't know. I don't know what to say about this. I, I don't want to say, well, it just goes to show you, you know, when your, your card gets flipped, it's your day. But... So the, so the dive at 170 feet, although the, the PPO2 isn't high, right, they're looking at, you know, after a 10, 15-minute dive at 170 feet, if they're running like the old U.S. Navy tables, that's going to give them seven minutes of decompression at 20 and, 20 and uh, uh, 10 feet just to, just to slip out, all things being A-OK. Right. And it's doable and they mentioned there that it's not likely an O2 convulsion with that PPO2, but still there's something to be said for that deep air of a dive, the narcosis, and in particular the CO2-triggered narcosis. True, CO2 buildup. And, and, po- and poisoning from the CO2, right? Well, CO2 definitely plays a role when you're, when you're breathing gas that thick. You know, it's six, six times denser. Yeah. When you're breathing that thick of a gas, it's really difficult to really exchange the CO2, get rid of it adequately. So it builds up. 
with any kind of exertion at all. So we, we don't know what was going on with the guy. We, it does say that the uh, diver without the issue, he was the one that loosened the anchor, right? That's how I read right. it, right? Yeah, yeah. so he was down. Uh, yeah, he was down loosening up the anchor, went back down to 170, you know, right. looking for his buddy who was having the issues. But, I mean, if, I mean, I look at it now, and again, this is me being able to look back, you know, 30 years later, basically. But deep dive to 170, strictly air, no additional resources for decompression. You know, so, I mean, I, I can look back and make the assumption just from what I know from a lot of people who are diving in those days of buoyancy control and workload on a dive. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if they already don't have what many would consider, even back then, the right tools to adequately come up from a dive to that depth, I, I don't think it's beyond speculation to to assume that he was working hard. Could have had easily had a, a high CO two buildup that led to the, the basically the, the poisoning himself with with such a high partial pressure of that carbon dioxide running through his blood that led to that led to him going unconscious. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, if you've got to suppose, and that's all we can really do, suppose what happened, all things point to the CO2 issue. And like you say, there's no mention of this skill level. There's no mention to his weighting. All of these issues that we've identified since then that play a much bigger role than people believed and or even know to this day. Weighting neutral buoyancy, proper weighting, technique, streamlining, trim, those buzzwords that we preach in class. There's more to it than just looking good. Those qualities of a good diver are there for your safety. They are to keep CO2 down. So basically you're not working. When you have good buoyancy, when you have good trim, when you have the right equipment, you're not overweighted. When you can propel yourself through the water effortlessly, you don't build up CO2. And that's the whole idea of what you're, I mean, should be like the main thing that you're, you're focusing on with taking the time to, to build these attributes and qualities as a diver in that long-term realm is for that very thing so that you're not working on the dive, especially at the, at the part where I definitely can't be working right now because everything just gets exacerbated. I mean, we did, yeah, we did this, we did the, the Dan report in the past. You mean the Goddan report? Yes, the Goddan report, exactly. Uh, well, we Give me did that, that Goddan report. Yeah, I'm being, when I, when I say that, it's like I'm being my father when I was growing up. You know, pass that Goddan <laughs> report. Have you seen that God? Where's my Goddan report? What did you kids do with my Goddan report? We're reading it, Dad. We're trying to learn something. I never touched your Goddan report, Dad. You know, it's like, what did you do with my keys? Well, I'm six years old. What the fuck do I need your car keys for? Am I taking <laughs> off in that purple Dodge Dart heading down 70sville? I'm not. I don't want your car keys. Do you remember those days too? Your parents, your dad had that giganto, like, there's got to be 500 keys on there. What are you doing with all those keys? Every key you ever had. From the moment you were born till that moment. You that never throw away a key. <laughs> that's bad luck, son. <laughs> it's bad luck to throw away a key. That's, a, that's an old Irish adage, boy. You might, Get over you here, might boy. Well, I'll smack you upside your head you throw away a key. 
You'll have the I'd, bad luck of the Irish. You'll have a potato famine here, boy. I'd breathe. I'd breathe a PPO two a two point eight <laughs> before I throw away a key. Arr. My pirate Irish dad would say something like this: "Arr, boy, you throw it away the key. I'll I'll knock your block off there, son. God damn it." Well, even we? back when we did that goddamn report, keys and all, we saw issues of cardiac arrest that we learned were triggered from working and building up CO2 at the surface that CO2 can lead to a cardiac event, let alone at six atoms. Agreed. It, well, it can, it can cause you to pass out, among other things. High PCO2, boom, that's a, that's a, a conscience killer it, it, it takes you out right and un, an unconscious underwater uh, is rarely a good combination let's go to uh, jenny springs florida let's Hop literally in. let's go let's, let's go to jenny springs florida i would right love already. to uh this is uh similar to a dive you and i just did a couple months ago down at the devil's eye down at jenny a trained cave diver lost consciousness and drowned while making an enriched air stage dive at Devil's Eye, Jenny Springs. His partner survived. The multi-level dive was conducted using air as a travel mix and a bottom mix of nitrox 40. The maximum depth of the dive was 104 feet, 32 meters. So you're up at a, like a, a PPO of 1.6-ish. Yeah, right. Uh, the dive team staged into the system on an aluminum 80 of air, which was breathed for about 15 minutes into the dive before the switch to EAN 40. About six minutes into the dive, the surviving partner turned to see the other diver stop and to begin shaking before losing consciousness and spitting the regulator out of his mouth. His partner tried unsuccessfully to resuscitate the diver and then attempt to swim the unconscious diver out of the cave. Soon realizing that his efforts were futile, the surviving diver exited the cave to get help. The body was recovered a short time later by a recovery team. Now, you know, like the first 15 minutes going into devils, the, into devils. You're working. It can be a work. It can be a job, especially for those not practiced in it. If you don't have good technique or you aren't experienced, going through that flow, it's a job. Once you once you gain experience and you have some technique and you learn to use your buoyancy and your trim and your propulsion techniques together, it's not nearly what it was in the beginning. I, I remember the first time I went into Ginny, uh, the first time I went into Little River even, I... One of those times I was like, what the fuck am I doing here? What am I doing here? Right. And that's that, that CO2 workload just like na- nagging at your brain going, dude, what are you doing? You're just <gasps> huffing and puffing trying to get to that next spot where you can stop for a moment and catch your breath. And, and going, going into Devils, there's like especially if you don't know all the nooks and crannies and tricks and spots and to where to, to position yourself as you're still learning the cave – there's a lot of areas like that in that early beginning. Like, this is into that, like, 6 to 15 minutes into the dive. 
It's not, it's not like they were 2,000 feet back into the Oh, game. no, not at all. As a matter of fact, I believe it gets easier back there. The flow kind of subsides a wee bit. But even going into the gallery there, which is still in the first few hundred feet, if you are not up at the top and you're in the middle of that, that gallery, there's a bit of a flow there. There's millions of gallons a second blasting past Right, you. and even going through the lips, which is right around the corner there, the lips very narrow. There's good flow there. you got to really pull yourself through that, through that area. So there's several places still, everywhere where the cave narrows down. The amount of water is still pushing out, but now it narrows down. So that force is greater, that, that flow is greater. So you've got to go against that going in. And it's tiring if you don't have technique. Yeah, and, and as you go through and you go into keyhole, right, I mean, that's legitimately, they're talking like 15 minutes into this dive. That's a pretty reasonable assumption for about where they are, right? But the very term being like what you were just saying is that narrows down and keyhole is a perfect narrowing spot where you're, you're now you're, you're pulling and gliding to really get and move through that spot where you can get into a spot where you can tuck away, catch your breath. So if you switch right. to 40 40 percent nitrox, and you're in near that hundred foot zone, and you're working your ass off because of any break in in technique, boy, that's a bad combination right there. You know, they mentioned in the beginning this is a stage dive, so they're carrying twins on their back. I'm sure they dropped off their O2, but they've got their stage on them, which presents an even wee bit more uh, profile in the water going against yeah. that flow. So you're working even harder if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't have technique. That's the biggest things I've learned in cave diving is how critical technique is going in a high flow cave. Investigators believe that an oxygen seizure was the cause of death. Though the PO2s for most of the multi-level dive were at or below 1.4, due to the configuration of the cave, they mentioned, there were multi-minute portions of the dive where PPO2s as high as 1.5 to 1.7, placing their profile outside the NOAA oxygen limits of a 1.6, which are based on moderate diver work levels. And you, and you hit it right on saying that, you know, that 40% was probably right around that 1.6 mark, which is high. That's a high number if you're down working in that high flow, building CO2 and fighting and struggling and breathing heavy. It's one thing if you're just, you know, sitting in one of those little uh, crevices wedged into the wedge into the back of the cave, sitting off doing decompression at 20 feet breathing a 1.6 but down on the bottom working your ass off it's a totally different game that just highlights the role co2 plays which we've said the guys that i follow diving the the articles the the people that kind of are in the know they'll tell you co2 plays a huge role in o2 toxing and losing consciousness partial pressure of carbon dioxide is what a that's what drives our urge to breathe. You got to remember that. So as it increases, there you go. You are going. You want to breathe even more, which makes your breathing more inefficient at depth because it's thick, and you're trying to move thick gas even more. The thick gas is harder to work. It's harder to move. You're building up more CO2. It's a vicious cycle. It's a big snowball. I say that the team was reported to be swimming hard in the upstream system, 
which would have resulted in CO2 buildup and possibly increased the diver's sensitivity to the convulsion. The family refused an autopsy, it says. But, yeah, I mean, uh, we know now that CO2 is an exciter for O2 toxicity as well. Oh, definitely a contributor into to that whole problem. We know, you and I know, from our training and the way we teach, CO2 is the bad guy in almost everything. It's not nitrogen, yeah. it's CO2. CO2 is our is Satan, would you say? <laughs> it is a bit of the Satan, right? And, uh, and once, once that CO2 devil gets in your brain... Right, it's it's hard to beat it with with just um, getting yourself calmed down, getting your breathing under control, and and then don't even doesn't even mention like the decision making. Like so, here these guys are going in with a stage because obviously they want to get further than what they've been able to do in the past. So now they've got this goal or, or this mission of hey, we're getting all the way to hill four hundred or something. We're gonna fucking do uh, it, man. Uh, uh, we're gonna yeah, do we're. It. And no matter what, not being able to to stop and calm down and 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 take a step back if need be, when you get so mission focused, it, it easily could be a situation where he just oh, yeah. poisoned himself with with that CO two buildup that led to the O two seizure, breathing that forty percent at that depth. That's easy to do too. Get that goal orientation, that goal focusing, especially at devils, you're like, I'm going in the devil's eye and I'm coming out as anus. That's just the way it's going to be. <laughs> so you've, you've established that's a that left, goal. That's a left turn. I have, you, haven't shown, you haven't shown me that jump yet, Randall. It's a secret turn there, boy. I'm still Irish down there. God damn it. <laughs> but yeah, you get the goal oriented and the problem with it's great to be that way to a certain extent, but the problem is to be too focused on the goal with the inability to call the dive or to stop. You hit it too is the thinking. CO2 is narcotic. It also adds to uh, compromising your your logic, your reasoning, your rationalization. So that physical urge to breathe keeps growing. It gets more rapid and more rapid. Your breathing, and which causes more CO two, which causes your the narcosis levels to go up, which causes your reasoning and irrationality to go down. You know, all those things are a big snowball. And, and in a cave, you got to have both headlights on. You got to be there. You can't be half. Narked out. No, you need, yeah, yeah, you do. You do. You can look at this accident and go, as cave divers who've been into devils, and go, listen, this is an easy one to see how it can happen. Well, and that, there you go. And uh, setting up a goal for the dive is always a good idea, but getting fixated on a goal, you know, in, in light of what's going on around you, the obvious things that are taking place, that's where things can get. Unfortunately, really bad. And uh, so here we've got another one, you know, coming up right now where we move off to California. I'm going back to Cali, to Cali, Go to, to Cali, Cali, to dive La Jolla Canyon. I don't think Canyon. so. I don't think so. <laughs> anyway, La Jolla. Have you ever, you've dived yeah. there, right? I've dove La Jolla. Yeah, the canyon, yeah. yeah. So th- this one just, you know, the the setup when you read this back like we are years later, you just read it shaking your head. But, you know, at the time, this was a common thing, right? Two untrained recreational divers 
reportedly died in La Jolla Canyon attempting to beat their personal best depth records of 200 feet. Are you daring me? Are you daring me? Those are like famous, the Darwin Awards, that's like engraved above their door when you go into their museum. Are you daring me? <laughs> wait, wait, did you say I can't? <laughs> did you say I can't? Go to two, I'll bet did you, you say I can't go to 250? I'll bet you I can. <laughs> Watch. Hold my beer. <laughs> so they made the dive at the canyon the week before using recreational scuba equipment. Now their goal this time was to hit 76 meters. 250 feet. Now, apparently, neither of the divers had training or experience at these depths and had not done prior workup dives. They're just going to go for it, What man. the hell? Just gonna, it's just easy. going to go for it. Come on. What could go wrong? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> According to newspaper reports, when questioned by friends about their, quote-unquote, record dive the previous weekend, one of the friends said... The divers got narked big time. And rather than dangerous or stupid, they believe their continuing push for depth was, quote, unquote, cool. It's cool. It's cool, man. Do, we are cool as shit, yo. I will outcool your ass any day. Are you, are you calling me not cool? Yikes. Both divers. How old do you think these guys are? Oh, they got to be in their 20s. They're, they're yeah. cocky dive masters. Cocky young divers. Both uh, divers were recreational dive masters, it says. One of the divers had just received his dive master certification earlier that month. Well, he's invincible. Exactly. It does contain the word master. And you, you know that master title carries very well at the local pub. When, uh, <laughs> he's probably got the, when the, the patchy jacket. When the, girls, <laughs> when the girls are looking, there's a cu- bunch of guys with... Advanced open water cards on the on the bar, a couple of guys with, you know, maybe a, you you see a rescue cert, rescue T-shirt, rescue diver T-shirt in the in the pack. A deep diver, and then the what guy rolls in with his uh, dive master. That carries some, carries some weight. Yes, everyone at the bar, get down on your knees. The master is here. That's why I got my dive master originally because I heard <laughs> like there was a there was a pub I down in Key Largo. <laughs> Pub in Key Largo is free drinks for all dive masters nice. during happy hour. La Jolla Canyon begins at about 130 meters or 450 feet offshore, starting in about 45 feet of water, and quickly drops through a series of slopes and ledges to about 300 feet of depth, 91 meters of depth. The team apparently swam out alone sometime in the afternoon covering about 550, 730 meters or 600 to 800 yards of swimming on the surface, probably building up CO2 levels before dropping into the canyon. So building up a heavy-ass workload just to get out on the surface, right? So this is something that you don't think of, but like we talked just a minute ago about those early cases when we did that goddamn report a couple years ago of swimming at the surface, building up CO2 that led to, to cardiac arrest just from the surface swimming. Now they're going to spike those levels and then drop down to depth. So even if they, uh, you know, 
were slowly making this sloping dive where they had time to calm down and relax and maybe lower that PCO2 a little bit. But here they're getting out on the surface because they want to drop right down. So that fast, quick plummet down to 250, which because they say here, right, they were conducting the dive on a single aluminum 80 without a stage or a pony bottle. And there was no descent, ascent line or surface support personnel. So they had to just drop to get down to the 250 because they they don't don't have time to just easily, leisurely swim down, swim back up. They got to drop right down quick, right in the right with those already spiked CO2 levels. So you got high CO2 level. You've got an aluminum 80 to go to 250. Well, let's uh, assuming Maduno gives us some, some numbers here, right? So assuming a conservative surface consumption rate of a 0.75 to a 1.0 cubic feet a minute or a 21 to 28 liter per minute for our uh, metric folks. The transit to and from depth would have required between 30 and 40 cubic feet of gas, 850 to a little over 1,100 liters for each diver, not including time on the bottom, decompression requirements, their surface swim, or any reserves in the event of an emergency. Since their bodies were never recovered and there were no witnesses, we can only speculate as to their dive and the exact events that led to their death. Now, if you look at something like, if we go back to the series that that we did on the the deep air record, that four-parter that we did on the deep air record that all led up to, for us, ultimately, that the big publicized dive that Brett Gilliam did to 400 and what was that 432 yes i was gonna say 432 so by the the way by the way jamesy brett gilliam he's moving on he was one of my picks but brett's doing uh, pretty well strong he had he had a very uh strong win against uh joe odom in the first round he's uh he's taken on Stuart cove in the second round of our pandemic madness it's mad mad but yeah, he's doing very well. But in that, so in the the first three episodes of that lead up, were chock full of <laughs> of divers perishing, doing like almost this very very thing, right? Mm-hmm. And we, when you look at what Brett did, and and although like we we might be able to look back now on Brett's Brett's dive and go, oh, he should have thought about this, he should have thought about this. And I think he even himself would would say, you know, at the time I was doing something different, but. The level of mental awareness, the mental calming, the slowing down of his breathing rate, the slowing down of his heart rate, highly acutely attuned to where his body was in dealing with CO2 is for this very reason of of not having the issue that these guys had that, that have completely disregarded that. Yeah, well, I would say that Brett's, example and the others that were attempting to set records their approach was in polar opposition the other end of the spectrum in the way that these guys approached it you know not that i'm condoning either one at this day right but back then uh people were doing these dives to a establish a world record which by the way guinness no longer records deep diving records on air you know 
to that effect. They stopped after people were dying. But like Brett worked himself up to that, right? He did hundreds of practice dives. He monitored himself. He had standby divers. There was surface support. I mean, there's a lot in place that is completely different than this approach, which A, they're inexperienced, B, not the correct equipment, C, no surface support whatsoever. It was as if they wanted this to happen. They, they really had so many factors in place that it's almost as if they were like, well, let's go kill ourselves. Let's, let's do a, a community suicide. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be smartass or funny about it, but the, the approach, their experience level, the equipment, the mindset are all an example of what not to do. Yeah, well, this is a, an example of uh, ego, in my opinion, right? And it's still something you see today with with divers that they, they get a couple of those, you know, basic classes. And well, this is why I bought, you know, the, the top-of-the-line computer. And the, the I didn't go cheap on the regulator because if I want to go to 200 feet, I'll go to 200 feet on the same gear that I'm trained to dive in 90 feet of water in. I, and I should say the, the same gear, the same training, and the same experience level that I have for for sport, recreational sport limitations, I'm going to take over doubly beyond that. Yeah, so in this example, right, we're looking at two divers, two, two young, arrogant dive masters that uh, are, are running on like their machismo and their egos and trying to be, in my opinion, probably trying to add up to that cool factor, like it says yeah. in there. Compared to this, uh, this next one out of South Carolina in uh, Lake Jokasi, South Carolina, kind of the opposite. We've got some experienced divers that are looking to do a, a deep water, open water decompression dive. And uh, they they take a much more calculated and smart approach with with not just doing a, a deep air dive with with no decompression. They're taking tools with them, but we have a little bit of an issue with awareness in the water, buoyancy control in the water that ends up leading to again another fatality. Right, but these guys had a completely different approach. They had training. They were experienced. They chose a, a, a mixed gas. They had surface support in place. So, I mean, and this story has a different ending than the last one, and it's probably because of their approach. An experienced cave diver suffered an oxygen seizure during decompression following a special mix open water dive to 300 feet, 91 meters, in Lake Jokasi, South Carolina was treated for freshwater drowning and luckily survived due to excellent topside support. Well, there you go. Utilizing a pair of large inflatables for surface support, safety divers, and a continuous ascent decompression line system, the eight-minute planned jump to 300 feet was conducted on Trimix 1433. That's 14% oxygen, 33% helium, and a balance of nitrogen. Max working PPO2 of 1.41 with two intermediate mixes of nitrox 32 
at 130 feet, 40 meters, and an EAN-60 at 60 feet, 18 meters, to be followed by surface-supplied oxygen at 20 feet, 6 meters. Backup oxygen bottles were carried by team members. Total plan decompression time was 61 minutes. Prior to reaching the 20-foot stop, PPO2s on the dive were at or below the 1.4 atomark, with the exception of two minutes at 37 to 40 meters, 120 to 130 feet, where the PPO2 was 1.5 to 1.6 at us. And? And six minutes at the 50, 60 feet mark, 15 to 18 meters, where the PPO2 was again at that 1.5, during the intermediate gas switches. So, but, but that's even pretty t- typical nowadays is, is spiking that PPO2 at the 1.6 on that decompression phase. Right. Right, for the beginning. So trying to maximize point, point the being, push. Yeah, yeah, yeah trying to... Yeah, trying to maximize that O2 window. The dive team discussed and dismissed the need for air breaks, which is the practice of breathing air for five minutes every 20 to 25 minutes during oxygen decompression, which greatly reduces sensitivity to convulsions. Yeah, not, not to mention the damage. You know, high, high oxygen isn't great for your lungs, so it does help temper that damage as well. Yeah, which actually, you know, staying on that high PPO2, even though uh, low enough that it's going to not trigger a convulsion, but that high PPO2 starts to inflame that lung tissue, and you actually become less efficient in the decompression phase the longer you stay on that high PPO2, which is why the air brakes are so normal nowadays to give those lungs a a chance to, to get some relaxation in a way, which actually the big benefit is you actually... Even though you go to a very low PPO2 for a while, you actually increase the overall efficiency of the entire decompression. Exactly. As unnecessary, they mentioned, uh, during the oxygen decompression phase of the dive, due to the short time, 36 minutes involved. So they were just going to blow off the, uh, the, the back gas brakes. Now, why they decided to do that, who knows? We don't know that part of the story. And this was back then in the 90s. I think now it's not every 20 to 25 minutes on O2. It's like every 12 minutes. Yeah, like every, yeah, 12 to 15 minutes right. you're switching for, for a few. Yeah. The dive proceeded as planned without incident until about 20 minutes into the oxygen decompression. The diver unclipped from the decompression line, switching to his oxygen stage in order to swim over and check on a second team on a nearby decompression line on the second support boat. He did not communicate what he was doing to his partner, who lost visual contact with the diver as soon as he swam off. Swimming slowly, the diver lost some buoyancy and drifted down about 35 feet, hitting a PPO2 of 2.06 and he believes he dozed off for several minutes due to his excessive fatigue. He startled awake when his breathing became abnormal and quickly checked his depth as the onslaught of oxygen toxicity began. Although he's just tipping over the 2.0, which for a few seconds to minutes, normally I wouldn't think much of that. You don't want to do it, but I wouldn't think much of it. But he's been on the high PO2s for so long now without taking that air break. 
that he dozed off. That that to me is uh, concerning. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, well, well, that's where like losing consciousness like that. You know, again, he's uh, he's he, he was clipped into the line, right? Probably on a John line, right? So letting that equipment control his buoyancy for him unclips instead of breathing the surface supplied O2, he switches to his deco bottle, swimming around, working a little bit, increasing his CO2 because he's descending, losing his buoyancy, and spiking a PPO2 from losing his buoyancy. That's a lot going on. Now, he says that fortunately experience takes over. And he held his regulator in his mouth with one hand, and he hit his power inflator with the other as he started to go into a seizure. These actions saved his life. And Menduno continues writing, saying, as he ascended uncontrolled, he was aware of losing his regulator at about 10 feet and hit the surface convulsing, face down, and helpless before losing consciousness. The diver was rescued within moments of surfacing by the team's support personnel. His breathing had stopped, CPR was applied, and the diver was resuscitated. He was soon evacuated to a nearby hospital, treated for freshwater drowning, and recovered. Fortunately. Fortunately, yeah. And luckily, it sounds like, in this case, luckily he's done a great majority of the necessary decompression at this point. So, I mean, it's not like having this issue, right, when he, at the very beginning, right, where he uh, first switched over and 130 feet over to that first model, right? Right. Though the diver's profile would normally be considered light from an oxygen tolerance perspective, the short spike to 35 feet coupled with the lack of an air brake apparently led to trouble. Extenuating circumstances appear to be his condition before making the dive. A paramedic by profession, the diver had just come off of a four-hour shift and had less than two hours of sleep the night before the dive. Fluid intake had been minimal and little food had been consumed over the previous 14 hours. Diver fatigue was believed to be the main factor in the incident. So there again, looking at, you know, what... Gareth put out this week if that with that if only documentary like if only he had a, had a full night's sleep if only he'd been better mentally prepared if only he'd have had food running through his system had been better hydrated you know what all these conditions mattered in the lead up to this accident is is only speculation at this point but certainly something to to consider for sure, and I think that's the point of, of Gareth's stuff is it's not only the physical effects of, A, working an extra shift through the middle of the night and then going out and, and trying to accomplish a, a deep dive and decompression. And a lot of factors contribute to that alone, much less your mindset or your physio- physiology. There's so many factors that affect our behavior 
that mold us into making our decisions, the people that we are. Because basically that's what we are, right? We're just a bunch of decisions. Yeah, right. That reinforce prior decisions or future decisions, you know? And and why was it that they didn't want to do the airborne rigs, right? Was it because he was tired and he knew it was extra work? And you're like, ah, you know, I I don't want to have to, I'm I'm already tired, I'm hungry, I'm, I'm cranky. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to go through the workload involved in making the gas switch, trying to hold buoyancy out in open water. Eh, let's just, just blow them off. There is a challenge and a work to, to cleanly go off of that bottle, switching back to your back gas, yeah. not losing your buoyancy, not losing your awareness of your teammates in the water so there's mental focus that you need to do to pull that off cleanly that i would say that if you have trouble doing that that level of diving might be beyond where you're at right now but that that's a whole different discussion so but was it you know all these diver fatigue things uh being dehydrated being hungry you know being tired just getting off of work that led to the laziness of decisions yeah yeah Right, and, and agreed. I mean, all those factors contribute, and they contribute to the mindset, and ultimately they contribute to the behavior. Hey, we're over an hour. We're at two hours right now, so we got a lot of editing. Why don't we make this a three-part? Because I'm looking, there's still, I mean, there's enough accidents to do one more episode on it. Oh, yeah, easily, easily. So why don't we make it a three-parter? All right, sounds good. Let's make this a, let's make this a three-parter, and uh, we'll uh, consolidate some of these uh, next Next instance coming up. These are these are fun to look at. They're, um, I mean, I'm sure they weren't fun to to go through for a lot of these divers. Uh, terrible situations to be a, a part of. But that's what's cool about these incident reports is it, it allows you to see some of these very very terrible mistakes that people made that led to fatalities, led to very violent decompression issues like we're about to get into in a, in a couple of these ones uh but it, you can see the situations that a lot of times people put themselves into or let their buddies put them into right yeah well it, it all goes to mindset and approach where's your head what are you thinking and and also what your values are in the water and do you have a a, a real value system and a philosophy that you're that you stand behind when you're diving yeah and you can see a lot with with these cases of you know reinforcing the the belief on deep air reinforcing the belief on ppo2s reinforcing the the understanding of the effects of carbon dioxide on the on the diver right and then knowing that yeah i can you know try to tough out and be a badass and i might you know seven out of ten times muscle through it Versus, versus having an understanding and building a, a philosophy to your diving that keeps you 100% of the time out of these issues. Well, or 99.9. I don't think there's any absolutes, but that's my personal opinion. Yeah, well, I'll give you that. There's always, yes, you're always taking a chance, no, no, no doubt about it, as a diver. So I, I shouldn't say 100%. But there's a, there's a way to grossly hedge the bet in your favor. And that's what I was going to say. Versus... It, just boldface uh, ignorance of of the science that we know exactly, and, and I guess what I when I have discussions with other divers that will argue the point that they will be on the side of I'll tough it out, 
I can, it's no, you know, nothing will happen. And if it does, I'll tough it out. Whereas if you, you approach it with the mindset of I'm never on a, on a dive with less than three divers, me, my partner, and then this guy Murphy, who is always on the dive. If you approach it with the mindset, it's going to go wrong. Before you even think about the dive, you're going to attempt to minimize Murphy's ability to fuck your life by, and, and it happens quick. Yeah. So you you approach with the right training, the right equipment, the right mindset, the right s- skill set, kind of thing. Anyway, and then you're even that much more prepared when it does going to that point oh one percent area where it's something you didn't plan for. And now you may have to tough it out. Well, there's your chance to prove that you can tough it out in that. But you have that much more leeway. Yeah, I'm with you. Awesome. All right, everybody. Hey, get out there and vote. Pandemic Madness 2020. It's madness. The votes are running through the end of the day today, Friday. Get out there and vote. And uh, we will see you guys Monday night for Facebook Live when we uh, announce the winners of the second round of Pandemic Madness 2020. And uh, if you haven't done so already, go over there and give a give a view to Garris If Only documentary. Uh, shoot us some messages on our Facebook, uh, what you guys thought about it, and we will see you guys. We'll talk to you guys next week. Dive classy, people.